the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Here's Pastor Jessica Stan to begin today's broadcast of Way of Grace. Do you have time to set your reputation aside so you can labor in love for somebody else? For you to be able to let your reputation go, to set it aside, to obscure it for somebody else is absolutely amazing. And that's exactly what Christ is doing here. Not only did Jesus lay aside his glory or his reputation, he also took on the form of a servant. And that's what we're seeing in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Welcome to today's broadcast, a message simply entitled, He Humbled Himself. We're continuing our look at the humbling of Jesus as he goes to the cross and what is born out of this humiliation, if you will with today's edition of Way of Grace from Grace Bible Church right here in Hayward. Here's Pastor Jessica Stan. By nature, God is glorious. Is he not? I mean, absolutely, infinitesimally glorious. Just glorious upon glorious upon glorious when we contemplate him. Is that right? There's no space or idea or concept or category in which we can contemplate God where we cannot substitute the word what? Glorious. He's the God of glory. Now stay with me. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. The other word that is more pragmatic to help us understand what Christ is doing is the word reputation. Our first point underscores the fact that Christ bears the divine reputation. Are y'all following me? See, when you have a reputation, you have a glory. When people know you in a certain way, that's your glory. And sound-minded people know the glory of God. He's eternal. He's ever-present. He's impeccable. He's perfect. He's glorious. He's righteous. He's merciful. Right? These are the reputations of God. Now, if you were God, wouldn't you want to be flashing your reputations everywhere you go? Just nod your head, yes, you would. Verse 6 underscores a divine reputation possessed by Christ. A divine reputation possessed by Christ. He enjoyed the same reputation his father did. He enjoyed the same reputation the Holy Ghost did. He enjoyed being the creator and mediator and sustainer of the whole world. Christ did. He enjoyed being the light of the world. He enjoyed being the bread of life. He enjoyed being the resurrection and the life. He enjoyed being all the things that men know God to be, Christ was. He enjoyed that. He enjoyed that. He enjoyed his reputation. 
But you know what he enjoyed more? His love for his father's will for rebel hell-bound sinners. Can I keep talking? Let me show you something. This is why Paul said in his ultimate imperative, there are 10 imperatives that are underscored or driven by what we call an illustration. Let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Do you have time to set your reputation aside so you can labor in love for somebody else? If you do, it requires you not grasping for or clinging to or holding on to your reputation. For you to be able to let your reputation go, to set it aside, to obscure it, to make it void. I'm giving you all the grammar that underscores the language, but I'm not being technical. For you to block, to, to hinder, to inhibit, to obscure all of your reputation for somebody else is absolutely amazing. And that's exactly what Christ is doing here. He knows who he is. He understands the privileges and prerogative of his reputation. And he says, okay, I'm going to set that aside. What humility, what condensation, condescension, what meekness. You have to be real secure in yourself to be able to set aside your reputation. I mean, we be sending our reputation right out in front of us. Reputation, go tell him who I am. Y'all got a few more minutes? Because you are dealing with the most astounding doctrine that you could ever hear. That the one in whom God investitured the emanation of all his glory so that God's reputation can be made known to men who is invisible? How can you know the reputation of an invisible God? You can't. But you can know the reputation of an invisible God by a visible God, and we've already affirmed that Christ is the visible representation of the invisible God. Have we not? Somebody shout about it. Somebody shout about it. Somebody shout about it. And the son now is going to do what we call in theology empty himself. Not of his essence, not of his nature, not of his subsistence. He's always God. We already affirmed that. You can't change when you can't change. If you're unchangeable, you can't change. Somebody walk with me now. See, see, saints have to think. Can saints think with me? If you're immutable, you can't change. If you're from everlasting to everlasting, you go always be that way. So how can I cover something, veil something, diminish something that can't be changed? Are you ready? It's not about taking away. It's about adding. So there are two verbs in this verse, in the next verse that underscore our point. One is empty or make himself of no reputation. That's one verb. That's our word empty. So when you empty something, you make it void. That means it has no more contents for you to consider or benefit from. And that's what Christ did. When he came to this world, he was so successful at the emptying of himself that nobody understood him to be God. Was he good enough to do it? Was the son of God good enough to come as God and not be known as God if other people didn't tell you he was God? 
In fact, the work of him emptying himself has been so magnificently successful that to this day, people argue that he is not God. Whoa! That God would veil his reputation in such a way that he could come near, not further away. It's one thing if I disappear on you, then you ain't seeing my reputation. But if I jump in your face, if I live in your world, if I eat your food, if I sleep in your houses and you still can't see my glory, I have done a wonderful thing. Can I tell you what I did? Can I tell you what I did? Can I tell you what I did? I humbled myself. I humbled myself. Somebody worship it. I humbled myself. I'm trying to be as practical as I can because I know how stupid we are. He made himself of no reputation. I'm going to give you an example. Can I give you an example? I see him at one o'clock. I'm going to steal 10 more minutes. Can I do it? See, condescending, humbling oneself obscuring one's reputation, has to have behind it a virtue and a nobility that most of us can't even begin to contemplate, let alone when we think of the magnitude of what I'm about to talk about, that God, in the infinitude of his wisdom, saw that it was absolutely necessary, absolutely necessary to veil his glory in order to draw you and I near to him requires him sacrificing something of himself that we know nothing about. See, it's right for a king to just strut in his glory. It's right for a king to exercise his authority. It's right for king's glory to emanate everywhere. Is that right? All people of power, all people of authority, all people of dominion, exercise that authority, exercise that dominion, exercise that power, because that's what you have it for. It's a prerogative of yours, Right? But this God who is called the king of glory, the king of glory. I mean, he's not just a king. He's the king of glory, the king of reputation, qualities and attributes that belong only to God. To you, O Lord, belong all the glory, power, dominion, majesty, worth, and honor forever and ever and ever and ever for people who have just gotten a glimpse of your glory. And then you go, woof, and you cover that thing. Are y'all with me? He thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. Your second point, a huge step down. Do you see it? Huge First step down. Three set points. I'm only going to deal with half of it and I'll quit today. He made himself nothing. He made himself nothing. When you think about the disparity between the infinite glorious God and him taking up the position of a servant, you're talking about making yourself nothing. You can't have a greater paradoxical extreme than being by nature a king and choosing voluntarily to be a servant. The king runs everything. He has his way. He does his will. Whatsoever the Lord pleases, that does he. 
God speaks and it comes to pass. He will do all his pleasure and he has a right to. Now, when you become a servant, none of that is true of you. A servant doesn't do his will, his own will. A servant doesn't have his own way. A servant doesn't exercise personal prerogatives by which people pay attention to him. A servant does one thing, disappears so that his master can get all the glory. Did you get it? Y'all with me? This is why John Owen called it the infinite condescension of God. And I'm going to show you something else here. Can I show you something that blew me away long time ago? When the text says he emptied himself, that's our word, kenosis, it means he made himself void of his reputation in such a successful way that most of us struggle with whether he was God. It worked, didn't it? But not only did he empty himself, at the same time, these are two active verbs. He emptied and then he covered. He emptied, which was his thought, his decision, his humility. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. And then he covered. This is how we'll get it done, Father. He covered. And how did he cover? By taking on the form of a servant. Same Greek word. One Greek word, the form of God. The other Greek word, the form of a servant. You can't get greater extremes. Are y'all hearing me? One is the center of attention. The other one is the obscurity of attention. You know what I love about this? This is what we call the condescension of Christ. He takes on the subsistent attributes of a servant before it even says that he became a man. Do you see it in your text? I'm going to help you. See, I had seen this years ago, and I taught you this as the three major covenant frameworks in which you understand your Bible. I said to understand your Bible, you got to understand the relationship between a father and a son, a what? A king and a servant. And then ultimately what? A husband and a wife. The father, son, king, servant paradigm is what you are seeing right now. You see a son submitting to his father's will. You see a servant rendering glory to a king. Do you see it? Do you comprehend it? This is the beauty of the Carmen Christi in that the one who is the king is now the servant. And he's owning his subsistent attributes before he is even telling you he's a human being, which means something about being human beings. Are you ready? Human beings who honor God are called to be servants. That the sin that we commit in our anthropos, our anthropology, is denying the inherent beauty and splendor of sonship service. Here's what we call the anti-type dilemma. Is that what Christ is doing here in humbling himself, abandoning his reputation, and taking on the form of a servant, the first Adam screwed up by grasping after deity, grasping after glory. Wanting to be like God, he lost that prerogative. That's because he never had it in the first place. 
But you see, the son of the living God who knew he was God, he was comfortable in his Godhood, secure in his nature, didn't have to grasp after it. And his love for his father and his love for rebel sinners like you and me was able to set it aside, knowing that setting it aside did not mean losing it. How can you lose that which is immutable? Y'all walking with me? Stay with me a little bit longer. I just want you to see this. When that text says he made himself of nothing, an act of humility, in order to not be seen in his godhood. Go back to the text. Go back to our PowerPoint. I just want our PowerPoint to be there. The PowerPoint, please. The PowerPoint. What we just had up there. That's what I want. Subpoint C. He was given a body of flesh called what? Isn't that right? Going from God to man via the status of a what? A servant. Now, let me show you the analogy of it, and we're going to close here. And I hope your hearts are joyfully stunned at the implications of the love of God in Christ for you. There was a king who lived in an ancient nation that we will quickly know when I quote it, that was, he was viewed like a god, like they all were. The Egyptian pharaohs were viewed as gods. The Babylonian emperors were viewed as God. The, 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 the Roman emperors, they were all gods. When they sat on their thrones, they had lions and, 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 and uh, images of, of winged celestial creatures around them as if they were gods. They weren't none but men, pseudo-gods. But there was one king who serves as a great type for us of a king who becomes a servant in order that his people might be saved. This is Jonah chapter 3, verse 1 through 8. Pull up Jonah chapter 3. And what I want you guys to see is the glory of the emptying out of the king's reputation in order that the people might be saved as a great type of what Christ did in order that we might be saved. Are y'all there? Since we believe that lo, I come, in the volume of the book, it's written to me. Since we believe that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, right? Since we believe that when we read our Bible right, who are we going to see? Jesus. Here it is, verse 1 of Jonah chapter 3. And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, verse 2, Arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. Remember, faith comes by what? And hearing by what? But how can they hear if they don't have the preaching? And how can they preach if they are not sent? Jonah is a preacher of the gospel, is he not? Is not Nineveh under the judgment of God? Is it not about to be destroyed? Now you are about to see the gospel unpacked in the preaching. Verse 3 says, so Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days journey. That means that as Jonah is going through the city, guess what he's doing? 40 days and God will destroy you. 40 days and you on your way to hell. Hey, you. You better get right with God. 40 days and it's over. I'm here to tell you, you ain't got but 40 days to go. Just 40 days and the wrath of God is coming down. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the time. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Believe on Christ and you shall be saved. You don't have all your life. You might perish today. 
You might perish tomorrow. God's coming. There's a day of judgment coming. The hour is coming when all will hear the voice of the Son of God. And they who have done evil will perish in the resurrection of damnation. But those who have believed the gospel will experience life. Believe on the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved. That's how Jonah talked. That's how Jonah talked. And that gospel sound was going all the way through Nineveh. Now, will you mark what happened in verse 5? Watch this. So the people of Nineveh began to believe God. Faith comes by what? And proclaimed a fast, put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least. Look at verse 6. For the word had come unto the king. Now, why did the people do it? Because the word had come unto the king. Why did the people repent? Because the word came to the king first. Why did the people turn from their sins? Because they looked to leadership to always model what to do when we're in trouble. Why were the people bowing down and saying, I'm sorry, God, for being an idolater, a fornicator, a whoremonger? Why did they bow down? Because leadership bowed down first. Do you see it? For means because the word came unto the king of Nineveh first. And what did he do? Here is your kenosis doctrine. He arose from his throne. Do you see? He made himself of no reputation. He voluntarily stepped away from his prerogatives. He vacated his position of authority. He abandoned his right to be king. He knew that the matter was so great that if the people were going to do what was right, it would have to start with him. He loved his people enough to rise up out of his position. That's what it takes, said. And he laid his robe aside. Do you see it? His robe represents his representation, his reputation, his glory, his splendor, his power, his authority. Christ laid aside the robe of his divine attributes. He laid aside his glory. He laid aside his rep. Is Christ a great king? Is he called the king of glory? Did he rise up one day to come for us? Did he take off his splendor and his reputation for us? He laid aside his robe and then he covered himself. You see it? Covered himself with what? Sackcloth and sodden ashes. In other words, it starts with leadership. It starts with the son of the living God. God knew that if some of us would be saved, his son would have to come to model what salvation is. Do y'all see it? We have to see it in the son of God for us to believe it in ourselves. As this king laid aside his glory, he represents a man who now becomes a servant for the people, walking in meekness and humility, being squeezed into the exigency of his people's concerns being more concerned about them than even them, realizing that he has to lay a pattern for them. And that's exactly what your master did in a pattern in John 13 at the Last Supper. When he rose up, took off his clothes, put on a towel, and went and bowed down and washed the feet of all his disciples. And they were tripping. Because Christ is the king. They didn't see him raise the dead, heal the sick, open the eyes of the blind, tell the water to stop, multiply the wine. They heard God the Father speak about him. They saw his glory. And here he is washing their feet. 
This is the kenosis doctrine, making himself of no reputation. And you remember what he said in John 13, 8? I have left this as a hoopadime for you to follow. Do you remember that? To trace out. If you're my sheep, you humble yourself like I humbled myself for you, for others. Y'all got it? Y'all got it? Amen. That'll conclude our time today here on Way of Grace with Pastor Jessica Stan, the Ministry of Grace Bible Church here in Hayward. We thank you for spending time with us. Trust that as you do walk through God's Word with us, you're growing in grace, growing in your relationship with Christ and your love and adoration to Him. As we conclude our time together today, we would like to remind you that if today's broadcast was an impact to you, maybe it really blessed you, or maybe you've got a question or two that to listen to this program again would help out, well, we have CDs available when you call or write to us, or if you wish, simply stop by our website and download the audio file from the website. Our web address is grace-bible.com. Rather simple. Again, grace-bible.com. Or contact us by phone at 510-886-9782. That's 510-886-9782. If you're writing to us, the address is 22768 Main Street. And that's here in Hayward. The zip code is 94541. Again, that's 22768. Main Street, Hayward, California, 94541 is the zip code. We ask for $5 per CD, or again, as mentioned, simply stop by our website and you can listen to the message in its entirety or download the MP3 version, grace-bible.com. One final note, we're inviting you to join us for worship. Sunday services are at 11 a.m. with Sunday school at 10 a.m. And then, of course, the Friday Bible study at 8 p.m. We'd love for you to stop by and join us for worship, especially if you're not involved in a fellowship at this time. And then, of course, the Friday Bible study. We have folks from all kinds of churches all over the Bay Area joining us at 8 p.m. It's a marvelous time of studying God's Word together as a company of believers. Again, for directions, simply go to grace-bible.com or call 510-886-9782. Thank you for joining us today, and until next time, God bless. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.